coming on uh, with this church. Uh, I guess I officially start on Tuesday, or maybe tonight. Maybe there's another way to think of it. But um, as I work at this church, I will work, uh, continue to work part-time at UPS. I make the commute to Shrewsbury every day, uh, Monday through Friday, and I'll do that uh, as I do this and try to balance everything. But there's this one guy at UPS, uh, not a believer or anything, but he's like this doomsday guy. You know those people? Like, Every time I see him, he's always talking about the world is going to end and, you know, uh, 2012 predictions and, uh, you know, we're going to lose electricity and all this stuff. And most people, he's very serious about this. Uh, Most of the guys uh, pretend like they're interested because it it is actually kind of interesting to hear um, him talk about all these things that are that he's just sure are going to happen. Most people just roll their eyes. Uh, But, uh, you know, the Bible does have a lot to say about the end times. Um, and I'm not sure that everything this guy is saying is, is accurate or, or true or what, but the Bible does have an awful lot to say about um, the end of time and that uh, before it gets really good, it's going to get really bad. Um, just looking at the news or reading articles online, we, you can see this uh, very clearly in our world today. Uh, wars and rumors of wars, the Arab Spring that took place, uh, nations being overthrown and uh, you look at the threat of Iran and what they want to do when they get these nuclear weapons and things like this. Anyway, uh, you know, economies in trouble, nations uh, about to collapse or collapsing. I don't know that we've ever lived at a time, the world has maybe ever seen a time, that um, things could go south so quickly. Um, so uh, the question then is for me, what do we do when life is falling apart? And I get maybe uh, not everybody here is in that situation where... Uh, uh, maybe you're not that concerned about uh, world events or whatever, um, and maybe not even personally, maybe things aren't following, falling uh, apart. But uh, as Jeremy said, we go through times uh, where life seems to be um, completely out of control. Uh, when things are out of control, there is hope. Uh, it may feel like we're drowning, um, but God, uh, the Bible speaks to all of uh, the human conditions that we experience. And he has a lot to say about um, tragedy and, and, and really what our response should be in the midst of very difficult um, circumstances. Uh, so if you have your Bibles this evening, I have to used to say that. I always ready to say this morning. Uh, that will come. But um, we're going to continue in this series, Summer in the Psalms. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 46. Um, Two identical verses in this psalm tie the, tie the psalm together uh, around the truth that God is a secure fortress for his people in times of terrible trouble. Uh, so we'll look at these two first, then we'll walk through the psalm. But in verse, 11, or verse 7 and verse 11, they say the same thing. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, these two uh, notions... Uh, or I'm sorry, these notions present two different things about God. First, uh, it talks about God as the Lord of hosts. Uh, host is another word for armies. God is the God of not just uh, armies as we tend to think of them, but angelic armies. God is the Lord of the armies in heaven. And second, he's the God of Jacob, uh, which speaks to God's protective character towards his people. Uh, and as we think about the context of this psalm, where it, where it falls in the Bible, uh, we're thinking of, uh, when we think of God's people, this is the, the believing 
Jews, the nation of Israel. Uh, he's saying that he will defend them and protect them. Um, so it kind of ties the psalm together. It's kind of the big picture. God is our fortress. Um, the psalm divides nicely into three sections. Uh, the first two sections, verses 1 to 3 and 4 to 6, um, address two threats that God's people face and uh, positive results that trusting in him will bring. And then the final section, verses uh, 8 through 10, um, speak to an eschatological day. That's a big word for a day coming in the future uh, when all outside threats will cease and praise will ensue. Uh, so the way I've outlined this psalm, verses 1 to 3, uh, if you like to take notes, um, when terrible disasters occur in nature, the people of God remain courageous. Um, in verses 4 through 6, when terrible disputes arise between nations, the people of God remain secure. And then finally, verses 8 through 10, when Christ reigns on earth, all the nations will exalt him. So uh, in your Bible, you'll see uh, Psalm 46 and then a number one underneath of that. But next to the 46, uh, you'll see these little words that aren't part of a verse, but they say, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. Uh, normally, we just blow right over that stuff. Who knows what that stuff means? But, uh, but it does give information uh, to the choir master. The sons of Korah are the, are the authors of this psalm, and they wrote ten other psalms. Uh, a lot of them are situated right around this one. Um, uh, the sons of Korah were descendants of a man named Kohath, uh, who uh, was one of Levi's descendants. So they're Levites. Um, and God appointed the Levites a long time ago um, to be in charge of worship. Uh, so the Levites served as priests. Uh, they served as um, people that would carry God's holy instruments from the tabernacle when they would move. The tabernacle was this portable tent that God's presence would dwell. And uh, it was, they were constantly on the move, so they would pack this thing up and, and set it up again. And all the instruments that God, uh, all the sacred instruments inside for worship, um, only the Levites were allowed to carry those and transport them. Uh, the Levites also were uh, the, mu- the musicians and wrote a lot of the, the psalms and, uh, and the lyrics. And the heading also directs the choir master that the psalm should be sung according to Alamoth. I've never heard of that before, uh, but I just found it interesting. I looked it up, and it's, it means... Uh, that uh, it should be sung by soprano voices. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting. I just thought I would share with you. So anyway, uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, again, when terrible disasters occur in nature, the people of God remain courageous. Let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. So the song of the sons of Korah declares from the beginning that God is the nation's object of trust. The psalm says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He was their refuge and strength. He was their shelter from danger. It's interesting, in ancient times, uh, if you've studied or if you remember from school, I don't remember a lot from school, but 
Um, some of these ancient civilizations, they would build massive walls around the city, right, to protect from invaders. Uh, Jerusalem today even still has uh, walls around it, pretty tall walls, which you can go and visit. When my wife and I were there years ago, uh, there's a section of the wall from the time period of Hezekiah, um, who was a king of, of Judah at the time. And to secure the walls so that they couldn't uh, knock them down with a battering ram, which you could do if it was thin enough, Hezekiah built what they called the broad wall. And it was 25 feet thick. Can you imagine that? 25 feet thick, all limestone, and almost 30 feet high. There was no way that wall was coming down. And in spite of these incredible fortifications, the sons of Kor declare that it's not the walls that's their refuge and strength, but it's God. He is their refuge and strength, their very present help in time of trouble. And he is to be found abundantly, not anxiously sought, not like we pray to God and we hope that he has time for us, right? Um, He is always completely accessible. And I think this opening statement of this psalm is just a great one. Again, if you are in the habit of memorizing scripture, this would be a great one to memorize. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. But I think it reveals a couple of things about the sons of Korah and really about uh, someone uh, who is biblically grounded in their faith. Uh, The first thing that I see here is that it reveals that there's a reality of trouble in life. Um, Sometimes we get this, uh, some churches will preach this different uh, idea that health and wealth, gospel, where if you just have enough faith, you know, uh, I'm sure that you've seen it on TV. You, you can be spared uh, d- disease and sickness and, and even probably make some money in the process. Um, but uh, it's so far from the biblical truth. Um, no one's immune from difficulty or hardship and suffering and trouble. Uh, things within our control and things without. So either decisions that we make, maybe consequences that we reap for our own decisions and maybe things outside our own control, consequences that uh, we reap for other people's decisions. All these things, uh, all these difficulties are part of the experience of life. Um, Some of the Bible's greatest heroes of faith experience some of the greatest struggles. Uh, The book of Hebrews chapter 11 goes into a lot of this uh, difficulty and trials that they went through. Uh, The world is messed up. But I think to make this assertion that God is a very present help in time of trouble uh, it just demonstrates that, yes, trouble will come. It's a part of life. And that uh, when it does come, the people of faith will trust God who is sovereign over all of the events that happen. Pretty powerful. The second thing I think it reveals about uh, this biblically grounded person of faith or uh, the sons of Kor who wrote this psalm, is that God is the deliverer. Uh, the psalm says that God's our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. He is the strength of believers. Uh, I always have wished that I was stronger. You know, like when you're guys, like when we're like growing up and stuff, maybe girls too, I don't know too many girls like this, but, you know, I had this idea of what like a strong like man should be. 
And it probably had something to do with my dad, and he, you know, a strong guy and stuff. But I had a different frame. So I lift and lift and lift, but I can't put on any weight, and I have, like, tiny muscles. And so, but anyway, really self-conscious about this thing growing up. But, but I had this wrong idea about what strength was. But the Bible says that God is the strength of believers, um, which is a totally different reality. Uh, the saints of God find uh, safety and courage by trusting in him who's always present to help them in their troubles. Uh, Psalm 18.34, a great verse, says, God trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Uh, As I was studying, I was reflecting on uh, other situations where God gives strength and for what purposes. And I just thought I would share a couple of uh, verses that I thought of um, where God makes his people strong. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, God makes his people strong in their fight against sin. Um, before Christ, we would have no, uh, no power over sin, but in Christ, we can stand up under it. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God provides strength for his people in their fight against Satan. Can you imagine people like us having strength to defeat Satan. Uh, James 4, 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, God provides strength for any and every situation that we may find ourselves in. And we always have access directly to God through prayer. Uh, One of my favorite verses on prayer from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and, and 16 He says, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's only because of our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that we can boldly approach the throne of God in prayer, being confident that he will hear us and that he cares for us. Uh, As this psalm states, as we're about to see, God provides strength also to his people when they face uh, natural disasters and, and later in verses 4 through 6, when disputes take place among the nations. But in every situation, God is our strength and our refuge, a very present help in trouble. And in verses 2 and 3, the psalm declares that the people of God will not fear even in the event of a terrible disaster. Uh, Verses 2 and 3, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. These verses are describing the devastation of a huge earthquake uh, where uh, mountains literally crumble and fall into the sea. And as a result of this incredible crumbling and falling, the waters are churned up. And, and come back on the mountains. Uh, we all have witnessed, uh, probably mostly on YouTube, I remember when that earthquake took place and with the tsunami in Japan, uh, being uh, really unable to pull myself away from YouTube videos of the devastation that that earthquake caused and the tsunami and the waters coming through and wiping out entire towns. Uh, And the psalmist is saying that when terrible disasters occur, much like this thing we saw last year in Japan, 
that the people of God remain courageous. And it's only because God is their refuge and their strength and their very present help in trouble. It doesn't mean that if we do have a tsunami here in Boston, it doesn't mean we all just like sit around and, yeah, we'll run. We're going to run to high grounds, right? There's going to be some fear there. But, but I think the difference is the Bible says that once we're in Christ, we don't, we're not uh, held in slavery to, to fear of death. Uh, certainly there are things and events in life that uh, produce fear and that scare us. It's part of the human experience. Um, but we don't fear like uh, the unsaved who uh, have no hope of eternal life. Uh, we're really the only ones on earth that um, have an unwavering hope that whether in life or death, God will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. So considering that, there is no reason to fear. And these first three verses end with another word uh, that we often glance over, uh, Selah, uh, probably because no one really knows what it means. Um, but, but it's believed that it was uh, an, an uh, indication for the uh, singers, remember these are songs, for the singers just to like take a break and the music to play, and for an opportunity to reflect on the lyrics that were just sung. So uh, it seems like a good time for application. So uh, just by way of personal application on these first three verses, uh, when natural disasters come, in whom or in what do you trust? Um, Maybe we should expand it to not just uh, natural disasters, but personal disasters which are much more uh, common. But when life gets hard or when the mountains that, that should be so stable and should always be there, when the mountains of your life crumble, to whom do you run? When you are greatly impacted, overwhelmed, how do you cope? In whom do you trust? Is God your refuge and strength and your very present help in trouble? Uh, Do you lean on him? Do you find yourself reaching out to the body, his body? We we are all Jesus Christ's body. Um, The church. Do you find yourself leaning on God for strength? What a great declaration of faith for God's people. Refuge and strength very present help in trouble. As we move to verses 4 through 6, the psalm now switches from disasters that occur in nature to disputes that arise between nations. And uh, my second point, as I've outlined this, is when terrible disputes arise between nations, the people of God remain secure. So read verses 4 through 6. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord's presence in the city of God, which is Jerusalem, uh, was like a peaceful flowing river. It's really in contrast to uh, this churning of water that we see as the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam. Uh, and the mountains tremble at the, the sight of the sea figuratively, but uh, 
the Lord's presence in Jerusalem is like a peaceful, flowing river. Um, at the time of this psalm, God's presence resided uh, in the temple, uh, which Solomon built. It was in Jerusalem. It's now, uh, a long time ago, it was burned down, and now they have built uh, another structure there, which uh, the Dome of the Rock, which is a very uh, holy Muslim site, but the Bible predicts that it will be uh, taken down and a new temple will be built. Um, but God's presence resided in this temple. And the people of Jerusalem who lived there would have had an incredible sense of confidence knowing that God himself was living in their city within their walls. Verse 5 again, God is in her midst, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And God was in the midst of the Jerusalem, and because of this alone, she would not be moved. Uh, as, in, as is the case today, ancient cultures, you define your strength based on your numbers. We get that expression, safety in numbers. And from a human standpoint, it seems logical. And usually, whoever has the biggest army wins. You have the biggest guns you tend to win. Um, but what seems true from human perspective is not always so. A couple of examples that came to mind as I was thinking through it. Uh, the Egyptians, they trusted in their chariots and their horses, and yet they all lost decisively at the Red Sea. Uh, the Philistines trusted in a giant soldier named Goliath, <laughs> and he was beat, killed on the battlefield by an inexperienced Shepherd boy. Uh, King Sennacherib of Assyria trusted in his army 185,000 soldiers camped around Jerusalem. He had wiped out so many other cities, but he retreated after the angel of the Lord struck down his soldiers. So what seems to be true logically is not always true. But God fights for Israel and protects his city for the sake of his own reputation, not at all for the sake of the people who live there because they're sinners, just like we are, and they don't deserve it, but for the sake of his own reputation. Uh, over and over again throughout history, Israel is faced with uh, the prospect of going to war and nations coming against them, and every time they had to, si had to decide in whom they would trust. Um, the expression that God will help her when morning dawns uh, it's just an indication that God was ready to help when help was needed. Uh, most times, uh, battles started at sunup and went to sundown. Uh, they try to finish a whole battle in one day if they could. But when morning dawns, when the battle starts, uh, the psalmist state that when military help is needed, God is ready. He's ready to defend his city. And though the mountains may crumble and slide into the sea, the city of God would not crumble or slide. So long as God was in her midst, the city would not fall, no matter who or what came against it. And as a result of this, God's presence in Jerusalem would cause gladness for his people. Verse 6 again, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So the nations fight, they rise and fall, they totter. Uh, this is the same word that has been used a couple times now, where it says the mountains, uh, though the mountains be moved, uh, 
again, uh, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Again, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Um, this word totter here, the kingdoms totter. They move. They slide. Though the nations slide or slip, the city of God does not. God's so great beyond all that uh, he has created that all he, has, he didn't have to lift a finger. He just speaks and the earth melts. Um, it's an indication that God's going to bring judgment and justice to the nations and that they'll melt away in terror. And though the kingdoms of the earth will melt away, Jerusalem will stand, will remain safe. Uh, and again, verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. There's that word again. So by way of application again, uh, today uh, we are the people of God. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, um, then you are uh, a member of the people of God, the church. And today we have a distinct advantage over those who uh, lived at the time of this writing. At this time, God's presence dwelled in Jerusalem in the midst of the temple would have been an unbelievably awesome thing. But today, God's presence dwells within his new temple, our hearts. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So the same presence of God that indwelt the temple in Jerusalem indwells those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. God's presence in Jerusalem made his people glad. They dwelt in security. And in the difficulties that you and I face in life, do we find security and gladness? Uh, not that we don't experience them, uh, not that, we, uh, that they're not hard or difficult um, and bring sorrow. These are uh, true human experiences. But, but knowing that the Most High God has taken up residence in our hearts ought to bring, even in the midst of whatever's going on, ought to bring a sense of joy. Finally, this last section, verses 8 through 10. That when Christ reigns on earth, all the nations will exalt him. We'll read 8 through 10. It says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now I realize this says nothing about Jesus Christ uh, in his reign. But in an implicit way, the psalm indisputably points to this reality. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say regarding earth's final days. And a lot of it, before it gets good, isn't pretty. Uh, Jesus gives a lot of insight to his disciples about the time period leading up to his return to earth. Uh, you can read about some of it in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13. But here's just a little from Mark 13. It says, uh, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom, 
against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Then we have the book of Revelation, which goes into the greatest detail about uh, life on earth during what the Bible calls the tribulation period. A seven-year period on earth that will experience unparalleled uh, disease, disaster, destruction, and, and death. And the desolations will be great. Um, but at the end of these years, the book of Revelation records that the Lord Jesus Christ returns to earth with the armies of heaven. Jesus is the Lord of hosts and defeats the wicked nations who assemble to battle against him. At that time, Jesus will set up his throne in the city of Jerusalem from where he'll reign as sovereign king over the nations of the earth for a period of a thousand years. And the psalm says, He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Only God can make wars cease, and he will bring an end to them. Uh, Nations will continue to rage against each other, and all the more, uh, I suppose, as as we come up to the end. But God, by his own power, will bring an end to it all. In verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God tells his worshipers directly to be still. Uh, Recently, these two words have become pretty hot in Christian communities. Some use this verse alone to uh, advocate a, a style of meditation that has nothing to do with anything we find in the Bible and everything to do with New Age spirituality uh, is happening a lot in churches. I don't want to go into it anymore at this time, but I just say it as a warning um, for those of you who have already come across it, and, and if you haven't, you will, because it's growing. But, um, but be still clearly in the context of this psalm. Uh, God is not speaking about any type of meditation at all. Uh, he's urging that we trust him alone to bring an end to armed conflict. So the final end to all battles will come when Jesus Christ returns to the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. At that time, the blessing and gladness that Jerusalem and the people of God could experience during times of trouble would then be experienced by all the nations of the earth during an unprecedented time of worldwide peace. Uh, The prophet Micah said this about Christ's reign on earth many years before Jesus even came to earth, he says, It shall come to pass in the, late, in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." And it goes on to say that the nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So all of the nations on earth will know the Lord Jesus and exalt him as the Most High God. Uh, Taking the Bible at face value, which I hope that you all do, and uh, doing a study of... uh, predictions that the Bible has made, uh, we found that every one has 
come true to the T, exactly as it was predicted. Uh, This being the case, may this encourage our hearts that God is in charge and will bring about his perfect plan of peace. Uh, These events may happen long after we're gone, but, uh, but in any case, let's exalt him while we live. And my challenge to you would be, how will you exalt God this week? Um, there are a zillion ways to do this. Um, but how will you do it this week? Uh, in what ways do you need to improve in your exaltation of God? Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it has to do with this book. Spending, uh, maybe you feel like you don't spend enough time in the Word or you want to know God more. This is a great time to do that. Maybe you need to get into God's Word. It's a powerful book. You'll never be the same, I promise. It's an opportunity to exalt God and to trust Him and take Him at His Word. Maybe you have the Word part down, but you don't pray. God wants us to pray. We can exalt God in prayer. Prayer is uh, a sign of trust, that we trust God, that He hears us and that we need Him. Uh, Maybe it's Scripture memory, or maybe it's loving each other well as we do in the home groups. How can we show love to God and love to others? How will we exalt Him this week? And the psalm fittingly ends with this declaration that I talked about in the beginning of why the people of God should have such great confidence in God in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I really hope that this psalm is as encouraging for you as, as it has been for me this week as I've studied, and I think as, as, it, as it has been for the people of God through the ages since it's been written. Um, God can and should be trusted through all of life's troubles. Um, when terrible disasters occur in nature, the people of God remain courageous. When terrible disputes arise between nations, the people of God remain secure. And there's hope for a day that's quickly approaching, uh, I think, and I hope, when God, when Jesus Christ, will return to earth and completely eradicate all future threats. And when Christ reigns on the earth, all the nations will exalt him. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for being um, present. Thank you for... Uh, being interested in knowing and taking care of your people. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us, and for um, saving us, this group of people that had no hope in ourselves outside of you, uh, to save ourselves and to make us your holy ones. Uh, I pray that we would uh, move forward tonight um, with an attitude and a desire to exalt you, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that we would do this throughout the week, not just on Sunday night, um, but throughout the week uh, in our interactions with you and with other people, and when people are watching and when they're not, that we would be people that um, love you and show that uh, whether someone can see it or they can't. And we thank you for your love for us and for being that refuge for us. Amen.